Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas Podcast, where attitude is everything. I'm going to be jumping through the screen today, and you're going to see a big smile on my face. The reason why, because I have the greatest sports agent of all time with me today. This is his third time on the show, and not only is he the greatest of all time at what he does, but also a phenomenal human being, and I get to call him my friend. And uh, it's been such a pleasure to be able to have the conversations that we've had over time. But I think the coolest thing is, this is is one of the top keynote speakers in the world. And if you have a company out there, you have an organization, you have a convention, and you want the greatest sports agent of all time to come and speak at your conventions, it's available and it we can connect you. It, I mean, it blows my mind that that's even possible. As a little kid from Lompoc, California, if you would have told me the inspiration for Jerry Maguire would have been able to come to my company's function and be able to speak to them, not from a, a, a philosophical sense, but from an experience and wisdom sense, it would have absolutely blown my mind. So without further ado, let's get into the episode and let's jump in, uh, jump right in. We got a couple of uh, station identification and then you all are going to meet the greatest sports agent of all time. Let's get this party started. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Kelly Cardenas Podcast, and welcome to the show, the greatest of all time, Mr. Lee Steinberg. Thank you so much, Kelly. Nice to be with you. It is my pleasure, and you saw the commercial, and I have a tough time too, Mr. Steinberg. You told me to call you Lee, so I will for the rest of the time, but I tell you, it, that's been a tough thing for me just because of the respect that I have for you, but I will call you Lee for the rest of the time. But the commercial that you just saw, which is the Vibram, a live version of the podcast, I'm calling this this year, Lee, the next episode that you and I do together will be live at the Vibram in that arena, which would be amazing. And imagine being able to sit in the audience and experience this legend. So again, welcome to the show. Um, I, I, what I love about this is that you're not just a guy who is just a master at your craft. There's also, you have an agent academy helping people to be able to, uh, you know, start their careers. You have the best Super Bowl party of all time, which we get a chance to go to uh, next week. And then also the health and wellness. I want to jump right into the health and wellness. Why is this so important to you, Lee? So, um, I had a crisis of conscience back in the 1980s. I was representing half the starting quarterbacks in the NFL. They kept getting hit in the head. And we go to doctors and ask, how many is too many? What's the magic number? When should they retire? And what are the risks? And doctors couldn't answer the question. So I started holding concussion seminars 
with leading neurologists from the standpoint of awareness, prevention, and cure. And to try to do something about this ticking time bomb, this undiagnosed health epidemic that is multiple head injuries leading to Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, premature senility, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, and uh, depression. So I, doing that, while I was exploring that, I started to think about the fact that most athletic contests come down to the last quarter or many times last play. So is there a way to stimulate energy, productivity, and focus in those critical moments to have an athlete perform better or a team perform better? And when a player gets hurt, now he's backed up by someone because of his salary cap that's much less talented. So it can be a major blow. So how do you get those players back more quickly? And while I was doing that, I realized that some of these same modalities, hyperbaric oxygen, stem cell, white, blue, and red light, a process called NanoV, and two cognitive processes, one called RTMS and one uh, called Dr. Tommy Shaver's Nestry treatment, uh, can actually rehabilitate the brain. And it became clear to me that not only could athletes perform better and recover quicker, but these same modalities could help you and I extend our life, extend our cognitive function. And that the biomed revolution was occurring so quickly that there were now solutions to extending quality life that are available to everyone. So let's talk about the Super Bowl party because you, you've infused these, right? So your Super Bowl party is in Las Vegas, and but you've infused these and brought some of the leading you know, minds in the medical, but also some of the biggest legends of the game to the Super Bowl party. How long have you been doing this and why was it so important to wrap it all together? So the Super Bowl, if you will, has become a convention of Americana, much more than simply a game. It's a week of big business, big politics, big sports and big entertainment, all uh, descending on the same locale. So I wanted to mix those worlds while bringing attention to some cause that we'd like to tackle. So last year it was homeless, this year it's Special Olympics, a couple of years ago it was autism, but it's, it's using sports to make a positive difference in the world. And uh, we bring together, we do humanitarian awards for philanthropy, for an owner, a general manager, the President of the Chicago Bears, uh, Kevin Warren's going to get one uh, this year, a player for the Falcons, Trey Smith. We do all sorts of interactive uh, activities so people can experience a brain body lounge, which again has displays all those breakthroughs. This year we're doing a poker tournament uh, for the first time, which will be fun. And we're also highlighting esports because we're going to have a contest where University of Michigan will go against Michigan State uh, in a esport format. So 
uh, we do all those different things. So it's an antidote to the noisy, overcrowded, boozy, dark parties. So you can actually meet someone in network. So one year, for example, we had uh, Rob Schneider dressed as Richard Simmons, the exercise guru. But he was the bad Richard Simmons, and he ate ding-dongs and got drunk and ended up beneath the table. And they showed it to Richard Simmons, who was a guest on Jay Leno that night. Um, so it's it's uh, a bit of circus, but trying to make a, a meaningful difference in the world while having a great time. So you have a special guest. Well, in my head because you know my allegiance to the Houston Oilers, to the Tennessee Titans now. You just told me about someone special that is going to be there. Can you let them know? Oh, well, Earl Campbell comes to our parties every year. So for people who rooted for the old Oilers, he's sort of the essence. And and uh, then Warren Moon's been with my client for 23 years, and he always comes. So... You've got a couple of the old Oilers. <laughs> let's let's go back for a second because you were just talking about University of Michigan. Congratulations to them for winning the national championship. Um, they're playing against Michigan State, so my friend Cassie and uh, uh, Pike, uh, they both know who they are. They're they're big, huge uh, state fans. So go green, go uh, go white or white and gold, whatever. But let's talk about the NIL and how it's changing the landscape of what college sports is and then i have a couple other i want to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole here so nil the ability for an underclassman or anyone in high school from any age to brand themselves use social media market themselves using a marketing agent uh has was granted a few years ago here in California and it spread to the rest of the country. Well, originally it was supposed to supplement the income, but it's become a process much more dramatic than that. Alumni from different colleges across the country form collectives and they donate money from their businesses for their athletes to make money off the field. This is now being used in recruiting, Kelly. So uh, it's going to separate a certain group of schools from everybody else. So your your Alabamas and Michigan and Ohio State and USC and Texas and schools like that have enough money they can offer a high schooler coming to college ten million dollars in marketing guarantees. And then later when a transfer portal happens, the same thing happens. So it's gonna create a big gap between haves and have nots. And I think ultimately you watch all these conferences break up and, and, and all the free agency for sports programs that's occurred. And I don't think there'll be an NCAA in too many years because those big conferences, the, the Big Ten, the uh, goodbye to the Pac-12, but the Big Ten, the SEC, the ACC um, will do their own TV contracts and and put their own rules into effect. So it's the most dramatic change uh, ever I've seen in the 50 years that I've been doing this. 
So when you started in as a sports agent, like you ste- you stepped in and you really revolutionized the game. Are you saying that there's another revolution happening right now? And if so, what opportunities do you see for young sports agents and and for anyone out there thinking about being a sports agent? You could be mentored by the number one, the greatest of all time to do it. That would be like playing basketball and getting getting uh, mentored by Michael Jordan. Like you have the opportunity. So what is is there a revolution? Right now, and if so, what is the, what's what's the opportunity? Let, let me first go to your point about the Agent Academy. We teach young people trying to break into sports how to negotiate, how to recruit, how to put a charitable foundation together, how to brand and market. Um, very often in the past, they've had to recruit Warren Moon or, or Patrick Mahomes. So we actually get them out. Uh, doing things, learning core skills. I'm trying to create a new generation of ethical, principled sports professionals. So you can work for a league, a team, a conference, an athletic department, sports TV, PR, facilities management. There's a vast uh, array of of, uh, occupational opportunities, but someone's got to train those people. So we're doing a, another session in May at the University of Oregon that people can sign up for, and in April in Las Vegas that people can sign up for. But back to the campuses. Um, so right now I would talk to a player, say in football, who's a junior or senior. But what's happening is that high schoolers are now branding themselves, and now marketing agents who many times are the same people that represent players for the pros are signing up high schoolers which means i'd be talking instead of to a 20 year old or 21 year old maybe to a 17 year old so that's a big shift in our business but the the uh amount of of opportunities for athletes. Jack in the Box put together a program where they gave stipends to 10 athletes named Jack. Um, You had people like Nike's Phil Knight give scholarships to men, women, everyone. Um, And there's a market everywhere for someone. The 22nd player on the University of Alabama football team is going to have some gas station or some small business that's going to want to be affiliated in that way. So this is all a a major change. Will it mean that some athletes will have enough money to stay on a college campus? Well, if you look at someone like Caleb Williams, he's probably made uh, seven figures in, in endorsement revenue. He could stay on campus and decide not to come out in a draft. So it's all changing between conference realignment, between NIL, and then lastly, gambling. Um, The Washington commanders had the ability in the football stadium to walk up and place a bet like you were buying a hot dog. And so gambling is here. It's the NIL is here. Brave new world. 
How does that change the landscape for it, though? Because even when you talk about the gambling side of it, there are the conspiracy theorists that were even watching um, this last playoff game, right? And the um, and this is this one's going to hit close to home, but I just wanted to ask you about this: is if you research the refs that were refing the Bills and Chiefs game, those are refs that have a very high percentage of Patrick winning during those times, and a lot of times the Mahomes magic, which is sometimes questionable calls that they see, how much, when people talk about the conspiracies of now betting is legal, and how things can start to shift or be scripted or things like that? I don't think that is realistic or will happen, but that's a great fear, that somehow you'd have an athlete compromise with the gambler. And the gambler would then say, if you shave your performance, uh, uh, you know, forgive the gambling debt. The reason that that is unlikely is that that athletes are the most competitive people on the face of the earth. Uh, They can't dial down their performance in any obvious way. And if people ever thought that the games were not played on a level playing field, with both teams having an equal chance, the same rules, the same conditions, and you're seeing a real athletic contest, then it would go the way of wrestling. So what you just uh, brought up in your question is the great fear. And that's why forever there was a Berlin Wall between gambling and and, uh, pro and collegiate sports. As a matter of fact, Las Vegas, which has now become a big sports capital, was not granted a team simply because they have casinos. But now with the Golden Knights and the Raiders and the A's coming, it's it's a sports mecca. But no one anticipated that pro leagues or individual teams would take part of DraftKings or, or have advertising for Indian casinos in their Uh, in their venue, much less that you would have actual betting at the stadium. You can obviously do it on your phone, but I'm telling you, you're going to, it's going to be like a racetrack uh, where you'll have paramutual betting. And of course, people can bet on who wins a coin flip and, uh, you know, who receives and, and, there's a bet every 30 seconds that people can do. So gambling's always been there, but now it's integrated into sports. As you're seeing the landscape change with coaches, right? So we just had Belichick retire, Saban and Carroll on the exact same day. Let's let's take Saban, for instance. There was the talk that the landscape had changed with NIL, and that was one of the reasons why uh, Nick Saban kind of chose to hang it up. Now, that's speculative. Do you see, see... Right. The reason I don't think so is that he had already adjusted. So when I knew that the revolution has come is a couple of years ago when he was being questioned about Bryce Young. And Nick Saban made the public statement that he... that. Young had made over a million dollars in endorsements. Now, traditionally as a coach, he would have lowered the expectations for Bryce Young, who had never played it down and already had all these deals, but he didn't. He sent an advertisement across the country that said 
as a subtext, come to Alabama and uh, you can make millions in, in endorsement. So I believe he's already adjusted to the new way that the system was going. And he, he will, Alabama is such a dominant factory. I think they would have gone on and on. Um, he had a long, long career. And I think that he, that the, what a college coach has to do is much more difficult than a pro coach. He's got to find young men and it's 17 project how they're going to develop or be over years. He's got to deal with the administration, with the alums, with the press, with uh, um, basically a hundred young immature guys that have to stay eligible and have girlfriend problems and, and academic problems. That's a tough, tough job compared to uh, a pro coach who sits back and drafts players. Um, and so I think that, you know, as you get towards 70, although I guess I didn't get the memo, uh, but as people get towards 70, they have a tendency to think about a change of pace. So let's talk about old school and new school because we were talking about Belichick and Carroll leaving. These are old school coaches. Same with Saban. Very, you know, very old school that way. When you and Warren Moon are not only he's not only your client, but he's a very close friend of yours, and made some mean cookies back in the day too. You told me about that. What is your not um, official conversation, but you and Warren hanging out? What is your conversation about the old school thought of, I mean, there was times where he played through blood, sweat, tears. I mean, he was getting nailed, no roughing the passer. What's that conversation about new school and old school as far as rules? Um, you know, it, I don't mean to say get off my lawn, but it's, I mean, you have a different mentality because you've been around since the beginning. And I'm protective of players. So I think a lot of changes that have occurred are beneficial. Okay. So old school people would say, let the game be played on the field. Um, let the quarterback be hit. Um, it doesn't matter where you hit anyone. What are you going to do? Put a dress on the quarterback, things like that. But the reality of the situation is that if a team loses its starting quarterback, the sport has become so franchise quarterback centric that to lose that player from a gratuitous hit can completely alter a playoff run. And so it, it makes sense to me to be more protective. There are actually college programs that are not hitting in the off season training camp or during practice. They model the plays. The Ivy League did this last time. So the point is, can we make the game safer? And I, I think so. The old school um, uh, mentality that teams had was that football is a game. They didn't make a lot of money when they were playing. And they're outraged by salaries. The new wave is to look at salaries as just a business expense. And the fact that television revenue in the midst of a 
cratered economy and pandemic, CBS and Fox extended their contracts with the uh, with the league by 83%. So they almost doubled. So the sports revenue is incredibly healthy. It's coming from brand new stadium with luxury boxes and uh, and naming rights and and it's the use of the internet and content and merchandising merchandising and memorabilia and fantasy sports. So um, all of that would be seen as heresy to an old line football guy. Does any of it, I mean, is, does any of it get excessive? Like I, I watched one the other day, um, I was watching a playoff game and it literally was a continuation of the play. Arm went up, hit the quarterback very little. There was a drop from the quarterback and then it was, uh, you know, or do you enjoy that part to make sure that everybody's safe? So the reality is we've changed those rules over the last five years and no one even notices. In other words, no helmet to helmet hitting, no cut blocking, no, no hitting the quarterback after the play is over and no one notices. Football is more popular than ever. So that the reality is 61 of the top 100 television shows last year were NFL football. That means for the first time, one sport is not only the most popular sport, it's the most popular form, Kelly, of televised entertainment. And that's how crazy uh, people are about football. We just had record numbers over last weekend for uh, a Saturday playoff game, Sunday playoff game. Um, it's, uh, this country's in the midst of, uh, of football mania. And so to protect the quality of that, I'd make the argument that it's more important to have a healthy Joe Burrow or Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen or Justin Herbert than it is to see a gratuitous hit. So when you're talking about the, the new school and, and bringing in with the CBS doing the contracts, things like that, take us into the negotiation because you, you happen to negotiate at the time, the largest sports contract of all time. Am I I'm, I'm correct on this? When, when, with Patty? It started back in 1984 when Steve Young was being fought over by the USFL and, uh, and the, uh, with the LA Express and the NFL. And he signed what at that time was the largest sports contract ever, which was, wait for it, $42 million for four years. And, it made headlines all around the world, and then you come back around to Patrick's contract. And what was Pat like? Take us into that. Like, how how do you how does a how do you come up with a number? Um, what goes into it? To I mean, this, this uh, contract, his contract was in upwards of five hundred million. Am I correct? So I don't want to talk specifically about a specific set of okay. discussions. So let's do it generically. Of course. The question is comparables. Who is this player like um, in terms of statistical performance, in terms of honors, in terms of the team winning? How many ways can you break that down? 
And who is the player like? Well, in Mahomes' case, he's unique. But the point is, there's a market um, which is other players' salaries. So fundamentally, the revenue keeps increasing. So you look at the already negotiated contracts, and then if you have a breakthrough player, you're going to set a new standard. And you're going to look at how many guarantees there are in a contract. Is the money going to come to the uh, player? And, um, and then you're going to want to look at the concept the making a contract that has tremendous economic punch to it as cap friendly as possible so that that, that quarterback is surrounded by the best offensive linemen, the best wide receivers. They have a good defense because it's greatly in the interest of a player to go to the Super Bowl. This Super Bowl is the most dramatic marketing event we have in America. It's the equivalent of the World Cup uh, in the rest of the world. And uh, it, it offers somebody the chance to be a household name because it transcends the narrow genre of hardcore sports fans to be watched by all Americans. They may not watch a single football game, but they're aware of the Super Bowl. And the numbers are spectacular. So it gives a player the chance to cross out of just being a football star and being a household name instead. How does, like you had an experience, we talked about it on the podcast the last time with Troy Aikman, you know, in the limo. You told me that one. This makes my heart sing when you tell this story. And you're in with, in with him in the, uh, on the way to the Super Bowl. And when you got back in after, after he had won, you had let him know that his life had changed. Is there already that awareness nowadays with information on internet, things like that? Or can a person be prepared for the things that are going to happen when they win the Super Bowl? If they perform dramatically in the Super Bowl and uh, make an impression, and if they have a personality that is attractive, then what happens is that player gets uh, invited on the late night talk shows, the early morning shows, People Magazine, and crosses into the celebrity zone. And, and it, this country is obsessed right now with celebrity. And, and athletes can be part of that. So it brings them into every home and all of a sudden you have this massive endorsement market and and you have athletes who are some of the best known people in the world that happens because the super bowl is not just a game it's a week of of thousands of reporters churning out thousands of uh stories and and copy and it raises this one event when you get to Las Vegas, you'll see it's big business, politics, sports, entertainment. It's a confluence of all those different groups. And um, uh, it's a celebrity-making machine. Mm. How can you get a kid now? Because you're, if you're, if you, those new agents that you're going to be training, that you have an opportunity up at University of Oregon, if you're listening, and in Las Vegas, if you're training these, how can, how do you help them to understand what it's going to be like to communicate with a 17-year-old 
who is embarking, like 17, who's just about to jump into six, if not seven figures. And depending on the, who they are, they could jump into eight figures before they ever would play in the league. So the, what I encourage people to do is to hone their listening skills. Mm. People think everything's about presentation. No, it's about drawing out another human being and understanding how they feel about short-term economic gain, long-term economic security, spiritual values, family values, geographical location, being on a winning team, the quality of coaching. That constellation of values will fit differently into each person's life. And men don't share their intimate feelings quite as easily as some of the women listening to this podcast do. <laughs> and so it, it requires the skill to create enough trust and space around another human being that they will reveal themselves. So you understand their deepest anxieties and fears and their greatest hopes and dreams. If you can put yourself in another person's heart and mind and see the world the way they see it, you can navigate your way through life gracefully. And it's, it's an inherent skill. Um, so you need to be speaking to what that human being uniquely uh, views as something that will fulfill them. You talked about the fears part of it. Your dad was a high school principal. And he had uh, in a frame on the back of his desk, he had a little uh, frame. Can you tell him what that was? He had a plaque that said, of all our worries, great and small, the greatest of those that never happen at all. So it's just a way of having perspective. And uh, um but my dad raised us to be active on issues, to see that sports could be used to fight domestic violence or bullying or racism through role modeling. So this is why we've asked each of our players to go back to the high school community that helped shape them, set up a scholarship fund, work with the Boys and Girls Club, uh, put down roots. And then as a collegiate uh, institution, uh, Troy Aikman goes back to UCLA and, and donates a million dollars and sets up a charitable, <clears throat> excuse me, a scholarship. Um, and then at the pro level, a uh, foundation that takes the leading business figures, political figures, and community leaders, puts them on a board and executes the program. So that's work done, the former Atlanta Falcon, Tampa Bay Buccaneer, Florida State player doing a program called Homes for the Holidays, where he uh, has put 200 single mothers and their family in the first home they'll ever own by making the down payment. So it's athletes changing lives, and it can be uh, uh, messaging. So when I had the heavyweight champion Lennox Lewis as a client, he cut a public service announcement that said, real men don't hit women. And that could mo do more to trigger imitative behavior towards um, uh, domestic violence and in young people that don't listen to any other authority figures. So there's a real power to all this. And I was brought up by a father who had two core values. One was treasure relationships, 
especially family, and second was try to make a meaningful difference in the world and help people who can't help themselves. Try to heal pain. Try to, uh, and, and he would say as a corollary, look, if you're waiting for someone else to take a leadership position, Kelly, uh, to pick up a piece of trash or to fight against racism and, or domestic violence, whatever it is, the tendency is to wait for the they or them to solve the problem. Older people, political figures, other leaders. And my dad used to say, you could wait forever, son, for the they to fix it. You are the they. The they is you. So we all have the responsibility and the opportunity to take our own vision and, and make a positive impact. So as a young man at Berkeley, did you have any inkling that what would start with some friends, um, Steve Young, then going on at Troy Aikman, all these things, at that time, did you think, I'm on a journey and I want to set up the foundation to be the greatest of all time at my profession? What I really thought was that I, that I could offer two services. One is to truly understand young athletes and, and help them be role models and prepare them for second career uh, so they're successful after it's over. And the second is, how can we make a positive difference in the world? And that was it. Um, the, somebody else could have done the contracts. Um, but to, to be able to have 64 first-round draft picks in football and the very first pick in eight different years um, overall and 12 players in the Hall of Fame and then a robust uh baseball practice and, and basketball and, and Olympic sports. Um, that was all fun. Uh, but <laughs> what I hoped to do was uh, leave sports better off than I found it wow. and to set up new models for um, how people could work with athletes to, to fulfill their dreams and to uh, make, make sports speak for uh, helping people. So when you talk about new models, let's go into the new models of coaching. So you see like a Deion Sanders come into play. You see a Mike McDaniel. Um, these are what people are referring to as kind of players' coaches. Um, we just had, as we spoke about earlier, Belichick leaving, Carroll leaving, um, Saban. Kind of old guard. Um, amazing. What do you see with the coaching coming forward, or do you, is there enough, is there enough uh, data for you to be able to make an assessment? Well, there's a generational shift because the coaches are getting younger and younger. Sean McVay is no longer the youngest coach. I think it's the new Patriots uh, coach. And you look at Mike Shanahan and, and some of the younger coaches, and that is the wave of the future. And all of the new coaches have a different dynamic with their players. You look at the coaches of Detroit Lions uh, and uh, how tightly he bonds with his uh, players. So a modern athlete needs 
to be motivated in a different way. This is a different generation. They grow up on fast cutting on computers and big color screens and multitasking and fast bursts of, of, of content. And um, um, so it's a shorter attention span. And, and so a contemporary coach has got to get it out quicker and more impactful because the thought of having athletes sit there for an hour uh, focusing on on how do you how do you do like with the with the younger kids we went the other day to a um uh high school basketball game i went with my daughter she asked me to go she's 15 lee and so i said i'm dropping everything because a 15 year old daughter that asked me to go anywhere we went and i just watched the culture right and what the culture was this kid went for a dunk dunked on top of this kid which was amazing um, but he was less concerned. He was actually, their team was losing at the time, but he was more concerned with, he even looked at the guy outside off the court and he was like, did you get that on video while he's playing on the court? And what I noticed was, is that a lot of times kids want to get a highlight, but they're not as, I mean, they, they're not as engaged with the overall victory. In well, life, no, go ahead. Those are teams that lose because, <laughs> uh, but time after time, you see that it, one dominant superstar who's completely ego monomaniacal, um, they're not going to win. It's still in team sports is a, is a, a team game. And so the one who's um, uh, obsessed with ESPN and, and having that one clip of film um, is, is um, probably not going to exist real well in a team sport. How, how do you take and connect that and communicate that to a young kid who basically it kind of, you kind of grow up in it. I mean, I even watched my, my son, we were coaching, you know, sixth grade football the other day. And most of the kids were more concerned with head topping and catching over the top of somebody. And they were taking more time to head top, do that and dance than they were to actually do the drills. But how, how do you balance between the get off my lawn, hey, I'm old school, you need to do this, and be able to communicate with the young players? The advantages of winning mm. are incredible. The advantages of, of being with a team that wins. We talked about it a second ago in the structure of uh, contracts. It's um, uh, these athletes at the end of the day are about winning. They're mm. hyper-competitive people. So if you point out to you know your kids in sixth grade are, are just being kids but if you point out to a high school athlete that that um, lebron james distributes the ball uh, lebron james has a lot of assists lebron james is not just about himself if you look at those critical dominant athletes they may accrue big profile but they're intensely aware it's a team game and all the quarterback has to do is alienate the offensive line and and he'll he'll be sacked endlessly you know all the the so there's a a different spirit that that 
a coach needs to build, which is that it's about team and winning. And that's so, old school, but that's also is never going to be any different. Thank you for that. <laughs> I, I was scared because I was like, I, I mean, I want to adapt and I want to move forward. But at the end of the day, when you said the advantages of winning, that that was massive. Um, talk to us about like, especially like a young aspiring sports agent who, if you're out there and you're listening, you should be at the agent Academy to have the opportunity to be able to spend time with Mr. Steinberg. Unbelievable. But if you were to break down negotiations, so my 12 year old son could understand it, how would you do that? Um, the negotiating process you're asking? Yeah. Or, or, or the mentality of, of negotiating at a high level. So the first key is research. It's understand the field you're in. So if you're negotiating a sports contract, where does the revenue come from? What's the nature of the salary cap? What are the limitations and the rest of it? The next thing is to research your player and to be acutely aware of where he fits into, how can you maximize the value of the player by arguing statistically or through honors or through winning that this is someone unique. Then it's researching the person you're negotiating with. As I said a second ago, get into that person's heart and mind and figure out what a win-win scenario is. How can your athlete do the best for himself while still allowing the team to achieve its goals? Um, we negotiate repetitively over and over again with the same people. So there's the co whole concept of making a dramatic deal, bragging about it, uh, rubbing it in someone's face. That's just not going to work because you have to deal with them over and over and over again. So it's, it's, um, uh, it's, it's a consanguinity of interest. It's a, a uh, mutually two sides, uh, able to both achieve their goals. Um, and then it's bleeding every bit of emotion out of it so that when you're negotiating for a player, it's not my ego. It's about him. And it, it, I can't put my individual feelings into it. You have to be a warrior. So you really sort of bleed all the emotion out and, uh, and deal with it so it doesn't become personal. Do you have any Super Bowl predictions? Um, early on, uh, I have a vested interest in Kansas City. So, <laughs> um, uh, honestly, I hope they win uh, uh, over Baltimore. But, um, uh, but early on, I, when the Chiefs were struggling, I, I predicted Baltimore versus San Francisco. And... Uh, I hope that's not true, but I think San Francisco is a pretty solid bet. Now, they don't have uh, um, their key wide receiver uh, for Debo. the game. Debo Samuel. Yeah. And he evidently is worth the number of points a game. So that will be tough. But San Francisco is probably the most complete team in the NFC. And... Uh, uh, Kansas City's been there before. If you have Patrick Mahomes, then if 
you have 13 seconds left in the game, you're not necessarily out of it. So what is the magic that Mahomes has? Because, I mean, it is uncanny, like, to watch. You are up close and personal. What What's the difference? And have you ever seen in all of your time a player like that? Um, if, if he were to continue the way he's been, there's no reason to think he won't. I mean, at the end of it, he'll be competitive with Tom Brady for greatest of all time. Now, you're talking about someone who's only, you know, played seven years, so uh, which is baby age in Tom Brady terms. <laughs> you know, he's embryonic at this point. <clears throat> um, the key to winning in all sports and the key to winning in football is in a crisis situation where the quarterback has thrown a couple interceptions, the game is not going well, the crowd is booing, the margin's starting to get out of hand. What does that player do then? Can he compartmentalize, tune out extraneous stimuli, adopt a quiet mind, compartmentalize, and elevate level of play in those critical situations to take a team to and through. It's that extra dimension of being able to perform under extreme pressure. Because, um, look, when they were doing the semis in, in uh, college football, two games came down the last play. And uh, a year ago, there were four playoff games came down the last play. And um, Kansas City and Buffalo came down on the last play. So it's the ability in adversity to get beyond that and elevate performance. Lee, what's the greatest thing about being Lee Steinberg? <laughs> um, I think... Um, um, getting to set up these charitable and community programs. In other words, when um, we do a program against bullying, which takes older players to high school players and tells them you have to change the culture of this high school because instead of being the bully as an athlete, you sit atop the food chain. How about you preach tolerance? How about you put your arm around someone who's being picked on? Um, it's the ability to see problems and to try to uh, uh, deal with them. And it's, it's uh, being a father of three great kids. At the end of the day, I think your life is a function of <clears throat> were you a good father, were you a good son, were you a good friend when it costs something to be a friend, and did you leave something of value in the world that helps others? How would you explain your Super Bowl party to a person who has no idea? Like, how, how would one explain that? So the whole focus of uh, a country and parts of the world are on this one unique location. So how many uh, different ways can we assemble people and educate them on breakthroughs in different fields to show them new technologies to to inform them about problems and solutions, to 
to help Special Olympics? Uh, how can we use, how many utilities can we get out of the party? Can we have a place where our our clients and their families feel safe uh, and and enjoy it? And can I do a daytime party with ambient sound where you actually can come out of it having met some really interesting people in different fields um, that you might want to have a relationship with? So help me to um, the amount of influence and impact that you have, what just makes you belly laugh because you, I mean, you literally, you help so many people. I mean, you, you bring these causes. What makes like, what makes Lee lay back and just can't stop laughing? Oh, a movie like animal house. Um, uh, you know, I love, uh, movies and books and comedy and, and, uh, look at the end of the day, it's all a sense of proportionality. So when you're surrounded by uh, problems and worried about things, the only thing that saves you is a sense of humor. It's to see the irony in all this. It's when three things go wrong. It's, uh, you know, what next? Moses' biblical admonitions? Or is this going to be locusts or, or frogs or river of darkness? What is coming down? You can't get any crazier. You better just laugh uh, about the craziness of life. I think one of the wildest things is you're available and I think in my eyes, you're the number one keynote speaker in the world. And, but I didn't think that a company could have you. I didn't think that a convention could have you. How can they, how can a person or a company or an organization, how could they have you the greatest of all time come and speak to their company? Um, I have different speeches that I do. One is on the art of negotiation. One is on role modeling. One is on the business sports. One is more tuned to younger people. I've spoken on 85 college campuses. Uh, but I'm available, Lee at SteinbergSpeaks.com. And um, uh, it, it, I, again, if, my goal is to make an impact in the world then getting in front of people and and preaching a sense of hope and optimism and the ability to be resilient i've had to be resilient in my own life so it's encouraging people for example i struggle with alcohol now there are loads of people out there still struggling so can we help them can we inspire them to think that they have hope um, can we get everyone in the world to be the most fulfilled they can be? Can we show, can we empower them to, to find their voice and their strength? Lee, I want to, I want to congratulate you on, on, on those things. And what, what I love about it is that you, when I asked the question, could you have thought about being the greatest? It's not even a thought in your mind. And I've, I've watched you over time and even the, the humility that you have at all times, even when people aren't watching. And I said this before on our podcast, but I want to say it again is when I first met you and people cornered you and they were waiting for a picture and they were waiting for an autograph. When I came up, you stopped everything 
And it, you did this with every person. I felt it was just special for me. But you made eye contact. You spent time with me. I told you about my brother. And you said, hey, give me your phone. And you made a video to my brother Rob because my brother Rob is an attorney because of you. And you made that and said, hey, I just want to congratulate you. And, and they, I, I just I want to commend you on so that, that humility. I think part of the key to get everything out of life is to focus on that moment. Mm. So I'm not obsessively looking at my cell phone if I'm in a public situation or everything. And, and each person is special. And so if you take the time to put, we're doing this interview now. I'm not thinking about what I have to do next or what I did before, or I'm not really sure what day it is or what time it is. Every ounce of focus I have is just going into the sound of your voice. And if people will put their focus and attention into this moment, as important as every other moment in your life, then you're going to get more fulfillment from it. Mm. Well, Lee, I started the podcast because of my two kids, Maddox and McKenna. McKenna is in the arts, 15 years old. My son, Maddox, aspiring quarterback, 12 years old. I think he's got something special. Um, what advice would you have for Maddox and McKenna? And if you could use both their names and call yourself Uncle Lee, it would be awesome. <laughs> um, to try to figure out what fulfills them in life and what's important to them and pick activities that do that. So if competing in sports is, is a passion, you know, try to focus on that and, and, and be your best. But if reading a book is your focus, same thing. But it's to put all your energy into each situation and try to make everything a learning experience. So the point is, if someone walks up to me in public, I have no idea what they're going to say. It could be, uh, but I can certainly learn from uh, every person I encounter and uh, find new insights and, um, and new appreciation and, and people will amaze you. Lee, it has been my absolute honor. I would love, I would love, this is what I'm saying is you saw the commercial before. It's the Vibe Room. What it is, a live version of the podcast. And it would be my honor at some point this year to be able to have you live in front of a studio audience. It would be amazing. So we're going to, we're going to work on that. Um, but I look forward to seeing you. It's only a, a week and a half. Uh, I think it's like a week and a half until Super Bowl time. And I we're going to. We're not ready yet. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's two. I think it's two weeks, maybe. Um, but we look forward to seeing you out there at the uh, at the uh, the Super Bowl party. And as always, every single episode, every time that I get to spend time with you, I learn more and more and more. And I want to compliment you just on your character and the the man that you are. Um, you know, I'm just <laughs> one person out there trying to do a little bit of good in the world. Nothing special. <laughs> as you say, we all think you're special, Ali. It's a, it was a pleasure and I, I, it's an honor. And I want to thank everyone out there that's listening, watching, sharing, and all of our sponsors and uh, helping us get in the top 1% globally as far as all podcasts. And we having people like Ali has just been, a for me, a little kid from Lompoc, um, it has been a, a, a dream come true. So, And it's uh, an honor to be able to call you my friend. And Lee, you're officially off 
Hatsi.